Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. My mother is not an easy person. This is not a secret, she knows. And it's no secret that I choose to practice a kind of wild patience with her. Unfortunately, I don't think it's very much fun for her. She vastly prefers my sister, who gives as good as she gets. I wish I could tell you that my patience is noble. It is not. My mother is in her late 80s. We're not talking about forever. More importantly, the thought of living with regret is more odious to me than the thought of saying the first things that come to mind when we're together. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention the glory of the sympathy I get from Cam and our family and friends. My mother is her mother's daughter. My sainted grandfather, her father, was the most patient person I have ever known. I think he was ridiculed as much as he was admired for it. Why do you put up with that, Charlie? was a frequent question laced with both scorn and praise. I remember watching him methodically fix a particularly stubborn, sticky door and thinking I wanted to be like him, but his patience seemed impossibly out of reach. Now I know it was a strategy for survival, and I and all of us can make patience, a spiritual practice. Psychologist Judith Orloff writes, frustration happens. And get ready for it, probably the most important sentence in the sermon, frustration is not the key to any door. Patience means power. It's an emotionally freeing practice of waiting, watching, and knowing when to act. To many people, when you say, have patience, it feels unreasonable and inhibiting, an unfair stalling of aspirations, some Victorian hang-up or hangover. Let's reconsider. Patience is a form of compassion a reattuning to intuition, a way to emotionally reclaim your center in a world filled with frustration. Frustration makes us tense, eviscerates our sense of humor, and in fact puts us at odds with life. Frustration is the result of feeling thwarted. For many of us, it might just have something to do with delaying gratification. Perhaps without even knowing it, we've become intolerant of anything less than instantaneity and immediate results. And here comes something harsh. Without patience, at worst, 
there's a kind of disposable feeling about relationships. We're too impatient to devote the time to nurture familiarity and trust and love. If it's not easy, we give up too soon. I am sorry to say that this is an especially North American trait. Lenora Chu's book, Little Soldiers, An American Boy, A Chinese School, and The Global Race to Achieve, tells her story of moving to Shanghai and enrolling her son in a Chinese school. She is immediately struck by a stark difference between our system of education and theirs. Here, achievement is believed to be the result of innate ability. There, anything is possible with hard work. They call it chiku, eating bitter. When kids do poorly in school, the blame goes to lack of effort rather than lack of smarts. One high school teacher tells Lenora Chu, there is little difference in the intelligence of my students. Hard work is the most important thing. If there's a goal worth accomplishing, she writes, day-to-day -day life might be absolutely and miserably unpleasant for a spell. UCLA psychology professor James Stigler concurs, in America we try to sell this idea, he says, that learning is fun and easy, but really learning is actually very difficult. It takes suffering and angst, and if you're not willing to go through that, you're not going to learn deeply. The downside is that our students often give up when something gets hard or when it's no longer fun. We need to talk about cultivating the perseverance that comes with patience. Dr. Judith Orloff again, she writes, I'm defining patience as an active state, a choice to hold tight until intuition says, make your move. It means waiting your turn, knowing your turn will come. Once you've gone all out toward a goal, it entails trusting the flow. With patience, we're able to delay gratification, but doing so will make sense and feel right. Why? Intuition intelligently informs patience. It will convey when to have it and if something is worth working on or waiting for. She continues, as a psychiatrist, I'm besotted with patience because it's intimately intuitive, all about perfect timing, the key to making breakthroughs. Whereas frustration focuses on externals, patience is a drawing inward toward a greater wisdom. It doesn't make you a doormat or unable to set boundaries with people. Rather, it lets you intuit the situation to get a larger, more loving view to determine right action. Patience, a gift when given or received, moves within reach when you can read someone's deeper motives. There are hundreds of studies of the power of patience broken down into three kinds of patience. First, there's patience over daily hassles. 
people who cultivate this kind of patience are statistically happier and less depressed. Second, there's interpersonal patience, which doesn't involve waiting, but simply engaging with equanimity people who annoy us. Those who are patient toward others are statistically more hopeful and happier. And third, there's the patience of waiting, also called, I love this, courageous patience. People with courageous patience, statistically, are more hopeful. Do we want to be happy? Dr. Judith Orloff's favorite practice for cultivating patience is to find a long, slow-moving line in which to wait. She is especially enamored of the mother of all lines, the Department of Motor Vehicles. Instead of getting irritated or pushy, she instructs, which taxes your system with a rush of stress hormones, take a breath. Tell yourself, I'm going to wait peacefully and enjoy the pause. Try to empathize with the overwrought cashier or the government employee. Smile and say a few nice words to the other beleaguered people in line. Use the time to daydream. Take a teeny vacation from work or other obligations. Notice the stress release. Notice how your body relaxes. And then she advises, let someone go ahead of you. They can't believe it. They're so happy. And what happens to you? You're not anxious or angry, and then somehow the line starts moving faster. Dr. Orloff concludes, lines are an excellent testing ground for patients. To strengthen this asset, I highly recommend, remember she's a psychiatrist, I highly recommend standing in as many lines as possible. Lines are a microcosm of the world. This is a story about the gift of patience from American author Kent Nurburn. From the days he drove a taxi, he calls it the cab ride I'll never forget. I responded to a call from a small brick fourplex in a quiet part of town. I assumed I was being sent to pick up some partiers or someone who had just had a fight with a lover or someone going off to an early shift at a factory in the industrial part of town. When I arrived at the address, the building was dark except for a single light in a ground floor window. I walked to the door and knocked. Just a minute, answered a frail and elderly voice. I could hear the sound of something being dragged across the floor. After a long pause, the door opened. A small woman, somewhere in her 80s, stood before me. She was wearing a print dress and a pillbox hat with a veil pinned on it. By her side was a small nylon suitcase. The sound had been her dragging it across the floor. The apartment looked as if no one had lived in it for years. 
All the furniture was covered with sheets. There were no clocks on the walls, no knickknacks or utensils on the counter. In the corner was a cardboard box filled with photos and glassware. Would you carry my bag out to the car, she asked. I'd like a few moments alone. And then if you could come back for me. I'm not very strong. I took the suitcase to the cab and then returned to assist her. She took my arm and we walked slowly toward the curb. She kept thanking me for my kindness. It's nothing, I told her. I just try to treat my passengers the way my mom should be treated. When we got in the cab, she gave me an address and then asked, could you drive through downtown? It's not the shortest way, I answered. Oh, I don't mind, she said. I'm in no hurry. I'm on my way to a hospice. I looked in the rearview mirror. Her eyes were glistening. I don't have any family left, she continued. The doctor says I should go there. He says I don't have very long. I reached over and shut off the meter. What route would you like me to go, I asked. For the next two hours, we drove through the city. She showed me the building where she had once worked as an elevator operator. We drove through the neighborhood where she and her husband had lived when they were first married. She had me pull up in front of a furniture warehouse that had once been a ballroom where she had been gone dancing as a girl. Sometimes she would have me slow in front of a particular building or corner and would sit staring into the darkness, saying nothing. As the first hint of sun was creasing the horizon, she suddenly said, I'm tired. Let's go now. We drove in silence to the address she had given me. It was a low building like a small convalescent home with a driveway that passed under a portico. Two orderlies came out to the cab as soon as we pulled up. Without waiting for me, they opened the door and began assisting the woman. They were solicitous and intent, watching her every move. They must have been expecting her. Perhaps she had phoned them right before we left. I opened the trunk and took the small suitcase up to the door. The woman was already seated in a wheelchair. How much do I owe you, she asked, reaching into her purse. Nothing, I said. You have to make a living, she answered. There are other passengers, I responded. And almost without thinking, I bent and gave her a hug. She held on to me tightly. You gave an old woman a moment of joy, she said. Thank you. There was nothing more to say. I squeezed her hand once and then walked out into the dim morning light. Behind me, I could hear the door shut. It was the sound of the closing of a life. I didn't pick up any more passengers that shift. I drove aimlessly, lost in thought. For the remainder of that day, I could hardly speak. What if that woman had gotten an angry driver or one who was impatient to end his shift? What if I had refused to take the run or had honked once and then just driven away? What if I had been in a foul mood and refused to engage the woman in conversation? 
How many other moments like that had I missed or failed to grasp? Kent Nurburn concludes, we are so conditioned to think that our lives revolve around great moments. But great moments often catch us unaware. When that woman hugged me and said that I had brought her joy, it was possible to believe that I had been placed on earth for the sole purpose of providing her with that last ride. I don't think I've ever done anything in my life that was more important. Beloved spiritual companions, frustration is not the key to any door. Patience is a strategy for survival. We can cultivate patience over daily hassles, interpersonal patience, and courageous patience. We can make it a spiritual practice. Persevere. Delay gratification. Wait until your intuition says, make your move. Be patient. It will make you happier. And you might make someone's day. You might just change your life. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.